The way something starts is not necessarily how it ends. Harvard University began as a divinity school, and now it's just university. If you drove from the west end of the city to uh, the east end of the city today, you drove right past a YMCA. At one time, that was the Young Men's Christian Association. Now it's just a gym. And so when you walk from the outside of a building like this until the inside, I want you to know that there is an otherness to this that is unlike anything else in the city. And when you and I lose sight of the otherness of this, it can become ordinary like anything else. And so we've been talking about purpose, and when it comes to engaging purpose, church does not have to be your only purpose, but it's essential when you think about your purpose that it is included within it. And so today is more of a reminder than anything else. It's a reminder of how the scripture uses three primary metaphors to talk about this otherness, this church, this thing that we're a part of. Church is known as a body, a bride, and also something that is being built or a building. Let's talk about that just devotionally today, just a reminder. As a body, we are spiritually gifted and we should be spiritually growing. There is an expectation. In John chapter three, Jesus meets somebody by the name of Nicodemus. Now at some point along the way, though religious, Nicodemus hears about Jesus and then he meets Jesus. But hearing about Jesus and meeting Jesus is not the same thing as being under the lordship of Jesus and following Jesus. There are plenty of people today that know about Jesus. They may even have heard Jesus or been to a church before, but Jesus actually says something to him that is relevant to all of our lives, that it's not simply knowing about God, it is following God, it is being under the lordship of Christ that's different. Because Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you are born again by the Spirit, in other words, unless the Holy Spirit does a regenerative, different work in your heart, you can't even see the kingdom of God. But when the Holy Spirit does this work in your heart, that you individually become a follower of Christ. And then individually as a follower of Christ, you are placed in this thing called the family of God or the body of Christ. It's no longer just about you, but it fully includes you. And so the, the scriptures, when it talks about the church, it says that we're a body, that he gives all of us spiritual gifts, and that each of us should be spiritually growing. And so let's talk a bit, just for a moment, about the body or family. I want you to know that God always operates with family and generations in mind. The Old Testament, you see it again and again and again. He is the God of Abraham, he is the God of Isaac, and he is the God of Jacob. Here's a thought. One day, out outside of Jesus returning, each one of us is going to die. Each one of us is required to run our race, and how we run our race individually and collectively matters to the Isaacs that are to come. It matters. We can't run their race, but how we run our race affects them. And so we see this in Scripture. You know, if you and I were to talk about family in a sociological perspective, we could talk about family within Canada for all Canadians, and that is a massive context. We'd be talking about 40 million plus people, different, different in many different ways, but we could talk about family within Canada, and it is a huge, huge, massive understanding 
But when we can also talk about family, we could bring it down to the individual. Like every single one of us could talk about family and we are also equally born into a family and that is really, really small. When you think about your family in the midst of all Canada's, all the families in Canada, it's really, really small. But for you, it is incredibly significant. The family that you're a part of shapes you more than the massive family. In the same way, the moment you give your life to Jesus, we are a part of the capital C church. It is global, it is everywhere, and it is massive, but we flesh it out together as a family, as a local body, in a context like this. We work it out. How many of you know, in a family, if there is one that is tremendously dysfunctional, it can affect everybody in the family? Well, the same is true within a local church, that every single one of us should be passionate about, yeah, discovering our spiritual gifts, but also being growing, growing to be more like Christ. Why? Because my individual and your individual health, it affects the family. It affects the body, our mindsets. And so one of the things that we see when Jesus talks about building his church is, is it's a body. Romans 12, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Let us use them. Let us use them in what context? Well, very much like in a family or a body. I don't use the gifts for my exclusive benefit. I use the gifts that God has given me for our benefit to help us see Jesus more clearly. And to do that, we need every single gift of the Spirit, but we also need a shared commitment to grow up, to be more like Christ together. Pace and Pruitt say this, in both the global and local sense, we are one body that consists of many members, each operating according to a specific role, collectively working together in unity and harmony to accomplish Christ's mission. You matter and we matter. And sometimes you and we are in conflict, just like a family. You see things through the lens of your spiritual gifts, but other people see spiritual gifts totally different. Like for example, if you have the gift of evangelism, you can come to me this morning and be like, man, you never gave everybody a chance to, give them to, you know, to follow Jesus or give their life to Christ. And if you have a gift of mercy, you come into the going, man, like, how are we actually tangibly meeting needs? And if you have a shepherding gift, you're in here going like, I don't really worry about that. I don't really worry. How are we going after those who are hurting and lost? And how do we you know, bring them back home? And then if you're an apostolic gift, you're not thinking about any of those things. You're thinking about things 10,000 feet. How do we actually see Canada saved? And the role of the church is that we would be in unity together, though we see things incredibly differently. Turn the person beside you, whisper to them, I need you and then follow it up to take me out for lunch. <laughs> so as the body of Christ to engage purpose, each of us has to discover how we're spiritually gifted. But we also must concern ourselves with growing up into Christ-like character and maturity. And, and let me let you know, there, there's plenty of narrative around church. There's lots of narratives around church today in the world in which we live. Small is not better and bigger is not better. They're just different. Let me give you an example. Uh, Lori and I have a family of six and uh, Jason and Rhonda have a family of four. So naturally our family, because it's bigger, is better. 
So as, as silly as that is, just because the church is bigger doesn't mean it's better, and just because it's smaller doesn't mean it's worse. We need every single church in the body of Christ, okay? <laughs> Wrong metric. Wrong metric entirely. Just because your family is bigger or smaller doesn't mean anything. What actually makes your family amazing is the shared unity and harmony around being a healthy family together, not the size of it. This is what matters. And this is what Jesus puts us in this thing called a family, we're a body. Sometimes I wish we could be saved individually and be islands to ourselves. That's not how it works. He said we're a body, we're a family. And so as a family, we're dysfunctional. But we need one another. We need one another. Now, Jesus also says, or the scriptures also teach, that the church isn't just a body. Now it's gonna get to a level that some of you are gonna be really uncomfortable with. I get uncomfortable with it sometimes. The church is a bride. Like I'm good talking about family, but now we're talking about bride. Now we're talking about intimacy. Now we're talking about language of affection. Now we're talking about, from Jesus' perspective, like this, this, this language of covenant. Mm, not commitment. Jesus is not committed to you. He is covenantally in relationship with you. It's a big difference. If he's just in commitment with us, he would have bailed years ago because we're not worth it. Come on. No, come on. We're not worth it. But according to him, we are. And so he covenantally in terms of using the picture of a marriage, he ain't ever going to bail. We're his bride. And it's the language, again, in, in the book of Matthew, there's the, one of the most terrifying parables that Jesus tells, and it's people who actually get to the kingdom of heaven and say to him, um, Lord, Lord, did I, did I not do this? 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 And he turns to them, and he doesn't dismiss what they did, but what he actually says is, we never had intimacy, I never knew you, you never knew me, I was never your savior, I was never your Lord, you just used my name in vain, and my name has power, but it wasn't relational, you didn't know who I was. Like Nicodemus, you heard about me and maybe you met me, but Nicodemus does become a follower of Jesus, but others, even though they are religious, doesn't necessarily mean they're followers of Jesus. You were never a part of the bride, I didn't know you. And it's not meant to create insecurity, it's just, there is this language of intimacy, of knowing Jesus. And, and I want to be truly, really honest because this is probably the area where it's most difficult for me. This language of intimacy. Like sometimes, you know, I, I can be guilty of listening, you know, and the only way I can best describe it is some worship songs in my ears sound like prom songs to Jesus. It's the only way I can describe it. Like, they're so intimate and they're so affectionate that I can be standing over there and some of you are like this, like just, just, and you're just like, you're like if I could just give God a hug right now. <laughs> and the rest of us who are a little bit more like, mm, mm, this isn't our natural language, we're sort of like, <laughs> like we're singing and then we hear a ly lyric that says like sloppy wet kiss and we're like, Some of you were like, man, I got married so that I could just kiss this person whatever I wanted. Well, I'm British. I got married so I would never have to kiss again. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's funny. That's true. <laughs> when I dropped Lori off at the airport, I, I, I leaned in to kiss her and she gave me her cheek. 
and I wasn't offended. It was beautiful. I was like, yep, see you later. We have a beautiful, beautiful bed when she's not here. I sleep in the dead center of it. And I love it. Do you miss her? Yeah, she's my best friend. I miss her, but not at night. But yet Jesus says that his church is a bride. And here's what's so beautiful. Jesus loves his bride. But he's also leading his bride. And here's what he said about his bride. He is going to keep working on his bride until she has no spots or wrinkles. You're not going to find this on social media. Nor are you going to find this through traditional media. And and what I'm about to say, I am not dismissing the dysfunctional leaders or churches that are a part of the body and family of Christ and the hurt and the damage that they can create. I am not dismissing that and I'm never seeking to cover what the Holy Spirit is unveiling. I'm not. But here's what I want you to know. That the worldwide church of Jesus is not bringing reproach. It is bringing glory to who he is. It's just so quiet you never hear it because it doesn't seek glory for itself. It deflects glory to who Jesus is. You could go to anywhere in the world, and I promise you, the church of Jesus is making a Jesus-sized difference. They're not, just, they're not doing it with press releases and trumpets. They are doing it at worship and sweet-smelling aroma unto the Lord. Did you know in the region that we live, the economic benefit of the church of Jesus in Ottawa is north of $4 billion annually in this region? It's called the halo effect. You can look at it, but none of us do it for earthly tax receipts and credit. We are doing it because he alone is worthy. We love because he first loved us. Why? Because he's our bridegroom and and we're his bride. It's the language of intimacy. Revelation 19 verse 6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, And like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. All metaphor, by the way, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is this language of unity. It is this language of intimacy. It is this language of wedding. It is this language that we are created in the image, the likeness of God, but we are different from God. We are same. We are different. Marriage on earth is the only picture that actually comes close to describing the way Jesus feels about his church. It's what he's building. It doesn't mean he's not moving in and through different things and parachurch ministries. They're vital. They're necessary. Absolutely. Yes. But we are the church together. Earthly marriage shows Jesus' highest love for his church as his bride. And it's so important for you and I. If you only live in family, if you only live thinking about church as family, you know what we begin to do in family? Is we treat one another for, we treat one another or we take one another, excuse me, for granted. We begin to see one another in a way that is different from and we can criticize one another and we can tear and we can be sharp with our tongue. If we only see it as family, our lip is really quick to move. But we also have to hold it in tension that the church that we criticize is also his bride. 
And when we see the church not only as family, yeah, dysfunctional, but also as his bride, what it should do is it it should give us pause to how we speak about her and how he see her. Loved ones, when you walked in today, you didn't walk into an auditorium, you walked into a sanctuary. What's the difference? The auditorium is where anything can happen. The sanctuary is all about his people and God's presence. Loved ones, you are not listening to a public speech. I am preaching, which means as I am preaching, you are pulling because together we want God to do something in our midst to help us be born like Jesus. When you go to the movies, it just ain't like that. This is altogether different. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body and so be mindful the church is not only a body or a family, but it's, it's the bride of Christ. And, and finally, the church is a building. So in one sense, it's the language of family. This is the way we understand church. And another sense, it's the language of intimacy. It's the, this holy, this respectful, this, this, this other than, this separated from, this holy, committed relationship where others don't defile the bed. They are removed from it because it's exclusive. This is the language of church. And then now there's this language of building, that church is a body, it is a bride, but it's, it's also a building. It's people and it's presence. And pulling on the metaphor, one more line if I can, home is the people of a family. But a house is where people live their day-to-day lives. It has value and it has purpose. You know, if my home is on fire, if my house is on fire, my number one priority is not the house or the stuff in the house. It's the inhabitants of the house. And once the inhabitants of the house are safe, then I care about the structure and the stuff. So it's not as though the structure and the stuff has no value, but it's not the prime value, but it still has value. When one doesn't have a house, the designation that our culture gives is they're homeless. And homelessness in the natural is a terrible, terrible scourge on wealthy countries, on every country. But homelessness spiritually is a symptom that one who may have said yes to following Jesus has become lost. The other end of it is true. We don't worship the buildings. We worship the God who meets us in buildings, but not exclusively or only in buildings. How many of the God is not limited to this building? He's not. But God does do significant things within his house. And this building, by the way, this building is a witness to the 100,000 people who drive by this every single day. On Sunday, the invisible church becomes visible in a way that is unique and is special and it's significant. God uses buildings He uses places in neighborhoods, in cities, in nations, in the world. But they're different. This place, though it's got seats and structure and a lot of things that are similar to some things that you'd find elsewhere, they're different. Let me give you an example. 
How many of you in your life have ever eaten at a restaurant? Can I see your hands, please? That's not a trick question, by the way. It's not like <laughs> trying to think, like, what's the deeper metaphor? I'm just asking you a really basic question. Yeah, some of you still won't raise your hands. Like, I'm gonna do it's all good. You're welcome. Not like you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. Well, if you give every night at a restaurant, you are seated and you are served. Okay? At the end of your meal, someone takes your plates. You know, they wash them. They, they, they get ready to, to seat someone else. And here's what's amazing. I don't know if you've ever been in a restaurant, but especially a busy one, um, and there's people waiting in the waiting room and you're seated at a table. Man, you really feel special though when they're waiting and you're sitting, you're like, hmm, I'm better, right? <laughs> it's the language of hell. I know I said it last week, but I just fell into it again. But you're sitting there. You know all they care about, everybody in the restaurant, is how quick they can get you out to get somebody else seated there because they want your table. Okay? That's what they want. Seated, served, you feel so special, but really it's like, could you please leave? We got other, you know, we got other paying customers. You're a product. So if you walk into your house, let's say you've left house and you walk into your house, you shouldn't walk into your house like, excuse me, Parents, would you please seat and serve me? <laughs> now, some of you still do, and that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> but how many of you know at home, after you, you, you have the meal that's been wonderfully prepared, you're not like, serve, servant, servant, waiter. <laughs> Mom. <laughs> you may do that. You may not live if you do that. <laughs> No, no, in family, there's something, okay, this, this is going to be new information for some of you. In family, there are these things called chores. You don't have chores at a restaurant, but you have chores when you're part of the family, all right? So you come in. All I'm simply trying to say with that long-winded thing is when you walk in, if you're a guest, you are seated and served. But the moment you are a member... And by the way, you are a member the moment you give your life to Jesus. Yeah, we have membership, but that's more like Canadian government stuff. <laughs> member, member. You're a member of the body of Christ the moment you give your life to Jesus. The moment that happens, it's not whether you are seated and served. It's how you can make a Jesus-sized difference in this building. Because it's not the restaurant. It's the family. It's the bride. And it's I'm not here just to be served. I am here to, like Jesus, serve and make a Jesus-sized difference. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Turn the person beside you and say, you is chosen and precious. I hope you caught 1 Peter 2, verse 4, by the way, because some of you, your identity is still in what men did, which is reject you, but not in this house. You were a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a what? As a spiritual 
house. So not just a body and not just a bride, but a house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable God through Jesus Christ. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is Jesus. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A physical home is all about the presence of the people. The church, the home of God, is all about the presence of God among his people. It's what it's about. It's not whether you like the message or you didn't like the message or you like the song or you didn't like. All of that has relevance and it's important, but it's not the meal. It's not the main thing. It is God's presence that is among us. And here's what can happen if we live into our dysfunctional family. We can look all about our preferences, what we like and that we dislike. And Satan loves if the church lives in moral imperatives and preferences. Why? Because then we will never prioritize presence. But when the church of Jesus prioritizes his presence, man, oh man, watch out. Watch out. Watch out what happens when we get together with God. We want to worship in such a way and not from this earning place, but from this worship and exaltation place, from this place of gratitude. God, when we get together, we want to love you and love others so well. We want your presence to be so thick that when the world looks in and they see how different we really are and they are baffled by how we can actually be a community one with another, that we don't merely talk about the body part or the bride part. We talk about this part, this part, but we talk about how God, like a building, has joined us together so that we can be in a city something different for a city. It's God's idea of church. God's presence is never limited to a building. And everyone said? Spirit blows, man, where the spirit wants to. Okay, OC Transpo, God's there. In your work, God is there. In your home, God is there. In Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, he is not there. (laughs) The Leafs are in the second round, but doesn't mean God is. Just a little joke, congratulations. (laughs) A pause and a thought, and we're done. The pause is body, family, and housing. When a culture like Canada excludes God from the process, we're gonna have problems with bodies, families, and housing. What are the three most defining issues of Canada today? Body, family, and housing. When we want all the benefits of the kingdom but not the king, we create inferior kingdoms. And the church is not supposed to be against those kingdoms. Yeah, the kingdom of darkness. We are supposed to be a countercultural kingdom in the midst of other kingdoms that show something transformative and beautiful. It's the way Jesus said we are to be. That's a thought. You can think about that. Here's the final. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7 to 9. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Uh, growth can be internal, but can also be numerical, external. 
For he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. And then I love how Paul says this when he talks about you, he talks about us. He says, we are God's fellow workers. Everyone around you is God's fellow worker, right? I know some people are leaning on their shovels while you're digging the whole day. That's a good conversation for family. (laughs) For we are God's fellow laborers. And then he says this, it's so beautiful, these two pictures. He says, you are God's field and you are God's building. What's the difference between a field and a building? Not very complicated. A field is all organic growth. Seasons, spontaneity. Like we said, spirit blows where the spirit wants to blow. There are some things in your life, how many of you by a show of hands, we're doing it again, those online, hand in the chat, up in the chat, how many of you have had God do something absolutely spontaneous in your life? Can I see your hands, please? Me too. You are God's field. Let God plant. Let him prune. Let him bloom. Let him do what he's going to do. Spontaneous. But you're also God's building. And you know what a building is? It's systems and structures and disciplines and codes. And some of you went, like, I was with you till you got to there. And others of you are like, thank God you talked about systems and structures because I can't live in organic and field. (laughs) Yeah. For you to grow, to be who God has called you to be in the family of God, the body of God, as the bride of God, and how is God at work? How is he building? You need the spontaneity of the Spirit, and you need line upon line, precept upon precept of system, structure, and spiritual discipline for us individually and as his church to grow up to be who he has called us to be. So when you think of purpose, when you think of purpose, church does not have to be your exclusive purpose, but it's essential that it's included in how you think about church. Why? Because the moment you gave your life to Jesus, you're already a member of it. And how you are a member of it matters. And here's what I pray. I pray that you do not live your life in fear. And here is why. Because the church that we build, the gates of hell can overcome. The one that he's building, not a chance. The church that he is building, the gates of hell, loved ones, even in 2023, they'll never prevail.